0: you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I mentioned this last week. Uh, this is commonly, and it's one of Jesus' most famous parables, known at, commonly as the prodigal son. But we said last week, that's really a misunderstanding. Uh, because if you look at verse 11, we see that this is about a man who had two sons. He had a younger brother, or a younger son, and an older son. Last week, we spent the, the time looking at the younger son. This week, this morning, we will be looking closer at the older brother in the story. Before we actually read our passage, uh, I wanted to mention this book. A little bit of a book blurb, but this is the book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's been out, it's hard to believe, almost a decade. Uh, But this is an amazing work on this parable in which I've learned tons over the years about the older brother and the younger brother. Uh, And it's totally changed the way I looked at this passage, but also particularly the way I looked at the elder brother in the story. And so if you have not read that book, I really do recommend this book for every single person in this room because it is a great book to show us what Christianity really is. It's a book for non-Christians, skeptics. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, uh, I, I, I had some parents say, hey, my kid's going off to school. Uh, what do you recommend that I give them to read? Prodigal God. So it's great for college students as well. And so uh, something for you to take a look at. If you have, with that in mind, let's look at this passage this morning. Luke chapter 15. We're only going to be reading verses 25 through 32 because we looked at the first half last week. But if you want context, uh, you can open up your Bible. But if you do not have a Bible, no sweat, you can look at a pew Bible and you can turn to page 875. We'll give you some context for the story that might be helpful. But uh, for time purposes, I will read 25 through 32. This is God's word. These many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come and be with us through his spirit this morning. Father, uh, you tell us that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's useful and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in all righteousness. And we all need to hear from you this morning through your word. And so we ask that you would come through your Holy Spirit and take this hard word, this very convicting word, and take it and apply it to our hearts Lord, I pray that you would stir us up in the best of ways this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear from you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2005, I was beginning uh, ministry. I was just ordained a gospel ministry, and I was the RUF campus minister at Sanford University right down the road. And if you remember that fall... uh, very significant event in the life of our country happened. Hurricane Katrina happened that fall. And as part of uh, just helping and aiding in the relief work, I gathered some students from Sanford, from our RUF ministry. Uh, Some of them are in this room this morning. And we partnered with this church, 2005. And we drove our van down to Biloxi, Mississippi to participate and help with the uh, Hurricane Katrina relief work. And mainly the work dealt with cleanup and um, those type of things, some demolition work. But I remember one particular day very, very vividly. We drove down the coast and we were going to a, a work project. And we decided to drive down through the coast and it was amazing, the devastation. Buildings and homes right there along the shore, completely devastated and completely leveled. We drove back a couple of blocks off of the uh, water. And at the further back we got, I was thinking, man, these homes look great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. It just seems like the damage is right there along the shore. And we pulled up to this particular house and I thought, what are we doing here? <laughs> this place looks great. I mean... It's a beautiful home. Surely there are places in much more need than what we are walking into. And then we walked into the house and there was a water line. Almost to the ceiling, all the way through the house. About nine feet, eight or nine feet uh, up the wall. This home had experienced major flooding. And you know the story. We start ripping off the drywall to find mowed and all sorts of ruin behind those walls. As we started gutting this house, it needed to be completely redone because of how devastated it was on the inside. And what I learned that day, looking back, is that though these homes looked beautiful, the further away that you got from the water, they were actually rotting from the inside out. You see, here's the thing. The devastation on the shoreline and the devastation blocks away from the shore were exactly the same. They just looked differently. And we and our crew, folks from this church and from Sanford RUF, went to Biloxi, Mississippi to bring healing to both places. Why do I tell you that story this morning? Well, I open with that story Because that's this story. Very similar. You've got two sons. They're both lost. It just looks differently. Their hearts are exactly the same. One heart, though, it manifests itself in a very different way. One, by running away from God and breaking all the rules. The other, the older brother... His heart is exactly the same. The devastation looks exactly the same. But it looks different on the outside because he's a rule keeper. The younger brother, it's out there for the world to see. Everyone knows how messed up he is. But the older brother is actually rotting away from the inside out. And they both need the exact same thing. The solution for both of these brothers is exactly the same. They both need the love of the Father. They both need Jesus. This morning, we're going to take a closer look at the elder brother. And in doing so, we're going to look at three questions. We're going to look at how the older brother is lost. Secondly, we're going to look at what it looks like to be lost like the older brother. And then thirdly and finally, who do we need? And so if you're a note taker, how, what, and who this morning? Let's look at number one, how. How the older brother is lost. And so this parable in Luke chapter 15 is a parable that has two acts. Act one, younger brother. We looked at last week. Act two is the older brother that we're looking at currently. And if you were here last week, you know in Act 1 what happened. The younger brother goes to his father and he shakes his fist in his face in a sense and says, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. I want your money, but I don't want you. Give me my inheritance. The father graciously gives him the inheritance. He takes his inheritance. He goes to a far off country and he squanders it in reckless living. He returns home and the father embraces him and throws the biggest party that any of us has ever seen. And then act one, the curtain falls. Verse 24. In act one, at the end, we see this, uh, it ends with the sound of dancing, and rejoicing, and music. Act two. Curtain rises. Look at verses 25 through 27. And when the curtain rises on act two, we see the older brothers in the fields, Working very, very hard, I might add. Because, you see, he's responsible. He does the right thing. He stays home with the Father and does everything that he's supposed to do. Because he's always obeyed, remember? And after a long, hard day's work, sweating, completely exhausted, Walking into the fields as he gets closer to the house, he hears the sound of music and dancing and rejoicing. And you see, you need to know that music and rejoicing and dancing, that that was the dinner bell. Music meant there was a party, there was a feast. And the natural question for everyone in the village would have been what? Who's it for? There's obviously a party. Who's the party for? That would have been the natural question. That's what the elder brother is doing as he approaches. He calls the hired hands over, the servants over. And he says, who's the party for? You see, it's at his expense. Remember, all the inheritance for his younger brother is gone. And so this party is at the older brother's expense. He knows that he's paying for the party. And he's got to be thinking in his mind, what in the world who in the world would make my father throw a party like this? His hired servants say, well, the party's for your brother. He's come back home. He's safe and sound. We thought he was dead, but he's actually alive, and your father said, give him the robe, give him the ring, let's get the fattened calf out, and let's party. Because your younger brother is home. Verse 28. You would think he'd be happy. But verse 28, we learn that he becomes angry and actually refuses to go into the party. And it's important for us to realize this morning that what the older brother is doing here by refusing to go into the party would have been just as much a slap in the face to the father than what the younger brother did last week when he shook his fist and said, I wish you were dead, give me the inheritance. And you might say, how so? Well, think about it. The older brother would have been expected to be the co-host to this feast. But he refused to go in and brought public shame to the father. Because everyone there would have seen the father. You don't leave your own party. And everyone in the room would have seen the father going to chase down yet another son. Leaving his own party to go out and talk to his son. And it would have been humiliating. It would have brought tons of shame upon the family again. And notice what the father does here. This is very important. The father initiates, doesn't he? He moves towards the older son. Because you see, the father loved this son too. And he goes out and he doesn't scold him. There's not a physical altercation. But he goes and essentially begs him to go into the party. Verse 29. Look at the older son's response. Remember, the younger son last week started his conversation with the father with by saying, What? Give me. The older son starts his conversation with, look, you. That's what he's doing. That's what he means. When he says, look, it's as if he's saying, listen to me, look. Let me tell you a thing or two, father. Why is the older brother so upset and so angry? Verse 30. He's a record keeper. He's keeping the ledger, isn't he? And he's upset by all that's happening in this party because he says, you never gave me even a young goat. How dare you give him the calf? See, he's adding things up. And he says, wait a minute. I've done everything right. And my younger brother has done everything wrong. And you give him the fattened calf. How dare you? You owe me. For me being so good to you. Do you see it? Do you see it? You see Jesus is saying in this parable. He's redefining for us this morning lostness. Because what we see in this passage this morning. Is that the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. It just looks differently. They both chose separate ways to happiness. The older brother, through reckless living, through shaking off traditions and saying, I'm going to do whatever it is I want. I'm going to make my own rules. And so he does it by breaking the rules. That's the way he finds happiness. The older brother does it by keeping all the rules. Their heart is exactly the same. It just manifests itself in very different ways. But you see, their heart is the same in this. They both want the father's things, don't they? But neither one of them really want the father. Neither of these sons loved the father for who who he was. They were using the father to get exactly what they wanted. They were using their own selfish ends, some by breaking the rules, some by keeping, to get exactly what they wanted from their father. And so the elder brother trying to be good is really just... This is... Mind-blowing. The elder brother trying to be good enough is really just as as self-absorbed as his hedonist younger brother that he so much despises. And you see, by keeping all the rules, though they're the same, their hearts are the same, The older brother was actually further from home, standing in the front door with his face pressed up against the window. He was actually further from home than his younger brother, who was in a pigsty in a far off country. And you might say, Jason, boy, that's how in the world can you say that? I mean, really? Yes, really. And you know why? The older brother didn't know he was lost. The older brother thought he was right. And you can't miss this because the older brother, he really was good. Like he's not faking it, he's not just faking it till he makes it. He was a good kid, he was doing it all right. And if one of us would have went up to the older brother in this moment and said, you know what, your heart is exactly the same as your younger brother. You're just as rebellious of him. You know what he would have done? He probably would have slugged you. Or he would have said, you're crazy. You are crazy to think that. He would have been deeply offended by that statement. And you see, that's the scary part of it all, isn't it? The scary part of it all is that self-righteousness blinds you to your own need. You see, the older brother thought he was strong. He thought he was well. He thought he was good enough and whole. He didn't see that he had any need at all for a physician because he didn't know that he was sick. But the moral failure, the sinners and the tax collectors and the people that had blown it and messed up, they were in the party. And they were sitting with the father and rejoicing while the smug, self-righteous, arms-crossed, know-it-all elder brother was on the outside looking in. Friends, this is a devastating story. It is a devastating story to religious people. Because this story teaches us that you can be just as lost this morning and, in fact, in greater danger sitting in a pew on Sunday morning than you can be in a pig pen. You see, the religious mindset says good people are in and the bad people are out. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. The humble are in and the proud are out. Remember how many times we see in the Bible God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And now it makes sense, doesn't it? When you look through the Gospels, Jesus was a magnet for outsiders. He was a magnet for outcasts and people who weren't doing it right. But you know what the religious people did with Jesus? They hated him and killed him and put him on a cross. So it begs a really searching question, doesn't it? Why is it that most churches today tend to draw the people that Jesus offended? Why is it that most churches tend to draw religious Pharisees while those that have blown it and messed up big time want nothing to do with the church? Tim Keller writes, This can only mean one thing. We must not be declaring or living out with our lives the same message that Jesus did. Because if our churches are not appealing to younger brothers, it's because that our churches are full of elder ones. And friends, me being chief among them. You know, the, hosp- the, the church is to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for the saints. We've been talking about vision. In the last couple of weeks. You know what our vision is? It's that this place. And this place that John talked about. Right down the way here. The worship center. You know what our vision is? is that it would be full of older brothers. That we would be a magnet. Just like Jesus was. For people who aren't doing it right. Secondly. What? What, is older, what, they, what does an older brother look like today, let's say? Well, the story actually gives us some hints. And the first thing, there's three, three sub-points if you're a note-taker. I am, and so I like to communicate that. <laughs> but the first one is this. Older brothers are tend, tend to be marked by anger and bitterness. Look at verse 29. The older brother felt like he'd earned the party. I've never disobeyed you. I've never done drugs. I've never embarrassed the family. I've gone to church my whole life. I've gotten good grades. I've gotten all the awards all the way through school and even into college and my workplace. I'm a success. I have done it all and now you owe me. And so when he doesn't get what he thinks he deserves, an older brother then gets very bitter. And so the first sign that you might be an older brother is that you get angry and bitter when things don't go your way. See, older brothers believe this is their formula. Live a good life, get a good life. That's the way they live. Live a good life, then you should get a good life. And that's why you hear older brothers say things like, why that person and not me? Or they say to their children or to their spouse or people around them, after all I've done for you, This is the way you treat me. Or they say things like, You know, I know that girl. And I know what she's really like. How come she's getting married and I'm not? See, older brothers, the anger is hidden. Oftentimes, and when things... When God has given you exactly what you want and your life is going smoothly, then things are good. You're great with God. But when they're not, when things don't go according to to plan, then the lid pops off. You snap, either internally or externally because God is not giving you the life you think you deserve. And you know what that's showing? You want God's gifts, but not God. You want things from God, but you don't really want God. Secondly, the older brother is also marked by incredible insecurity and competition for others. Older brothers always see everyone else's competition. Why? Because they're not resting in the love of the Father. They're not resting in God's great love for them. Look at verse 29. You never threw me a party. See how self-absorbed and self-centered that is? And so because of that, older brothers tend to have no joy in their life, no joy in their relationship with with God, no dancing, no rejoicing. There's no delighting in their relationship with God. Instead, they spend their days comparing themselves with everyone else around them. Why? Because they're trying to compare themselves to be good enough so that God would actually, they're thinking, if I can be better than that person, God will love me and actually accept me. that's a terrible strategy, isn't it? Because there is zero assurance when you compare yourself to someone else. Why? Because there's always someone better looking than you. There's always someone that has a better body than you. There's always someone that's a harder worker, that's going to get a better grade, that's more skilled and gifted in a particular way, or more social than you. And you are miserable. Because you never feel good enough. And so like the older brother, you look at people and you begin to hate them and resent them. Because you see them as competition. Because you're not securing God's love for who you are. And who he's made you to be. Thirdly, older brothers, another mark of an older brother, is they're judgmental and critical. Look at verse 30. Isn't that interesting? Okay, this is the older brother. Look What do you see about verse 30 that should stand out? He doesn't call him his brother. When this son of yours devoured your property with prostitutes. You see, older brothers see themselves as better than other people. And so they're constantly looking down on everyone else who's not doing it right. And oftentimes, this doesn't happen really out here. It happens more internally or with just a few people. And so in their heart and in their mind, they start to say things like this. Thank God that I'm not like that person. Thank God that I'm not like that person in my class or in the church or in my workplace or in my neighborhood or in my office. Or, you know, she is so weird. I mean, can you believe that she would wear that out in public? Can you believe that she would leave the house in that or even walk into church with something like that on? I can't believe that. He is so stupid. If he could just get the concept and had half a brain, he would actually get what this guy is trying to say. But he can't understand this easy concept. Can you believe she can't control her kids any more than that? Can you believe that? That she lets her kids act that way in church. You know, one of the biggest marks of an elder brother is that broken people are scared of you. Broken, messy people who can't get their lives together will have nothing to do with you and won't come near to you. Because you only want to be with the good people. You want to keep the bad people at arm's length. And the problem with that is that Jesus wants to be with the bad people. Because he came to die for sinners. And the Bible says that every single one of us are the worst. You know the sad part of this whole story? Is that the party is going on. And there's dancing, and there's music, and there's celebration. And the older brother is face pressed up against the glass on the outside looking in, and he's utterly alone, all by himself. And you know, it's easy at this point. we got to be careful. It's easy at this point to say, yes! (laughs) Those elder brothers, critical, angry, judgmental. All the things I hate, I can't stand those elder brothers. Well, when we go down that road, what do you become? (laughs) You become the very thing that you're critiquing and can't stand. You become an elder brother. You become a Pharisee about the Pharisees. And you see, we have to remember that the father loved the elder brother too, didn't he? And he moved towards him because Jesus came for Pharisees too. And thank goodness, aren't you so glad? I know I am. That God loves Pharisees too. Lastly and very briefly, who? So who do we need? Well, if you look at Luke 15 in context, it's, it's all goes together. Earlier we saw the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the parable of the two lost sons. And in each of the previous parables, if you were to read them, just kind of reading along, you would see when something was lost... Someone went looking for them, and they were eventually found. And then you get to this parable, the lost sons, and you see that the younger brother is lost, and you fully expect someone to go looking for him, but we don't get that in this story, do we? Who should have gone looking for the younger brother that we looked at last week? The older brother. The elder brother should have gone looking for his younger brother. And by putting forth, Jesus puts forth for us a flawed elder brother. Jesus is imagining, imagining us to long for and yearn for a true elder brother. You know, we actually have one. And it's Jesus himself. Remember Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11. He is not ashamed to call us what? Brothers. Jesus is the true elder brother, isn't he? Because he went to a far off country. He came from heaven and came all the way down to earth. And he didn't just pay for us to go into the party. He didn't pay money. He actually gave us his life so that we could be with the Father and experience rejoicing and dancing and singing. Brian Chapel has this book. It's actually a marriage book called Each for the Other. And in this book, he shares this story, uh, a true story that happened in his hometown. And it was about two brothers. And they were playing on these sand mounds uh, in his hometown along the riverbank. And you need to know that the community really depended on the river for their commerce. And so regularly, there would be these dredges that would come and clean the bottom of the bank off. And they would put the sand on the shore there, on the riverbank. And it would create these huge mounds of sand. And they were a kid's playground. Kids loved playing on them. But they were also very, very dangerous, as you can might imagine. Why? Because what would happen when that sand would dry? It would create internally these huge voids and pockets in them. And so if you stood in just the wrong place, it would cave in and all the sand would come come in on you and would crush you eventually if you could not get out. That's what happened to these two boys that were playing, these brothers that were playing on the mound on this particular day. And so evening comes and the sun is setting and the boys aren't home. And their parents, the food's on the table, they're ready to eat. They start to get very, very concerned. They call the police They start to scour the whole community, looking everywhere. And then finally it dawned on them, the mounds. They went to the mounds to look for the brothers, and as they rounded the corner, they saw from shoulders up the younger son, the younger boy, his head and shoulders sticking out, but he was completely unconscious because the sand was crushing him. And so the rescuers are just digging, 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 trying to get the younger brother out of the sand, and they get him down to about the waist, and he comes out and regains consciousness. And they say, where is your older brother? And he says, I'm standing on his shoulders. You see, at the sacrifice of his life, the older brother lifted his younger brother to safety. See, that's what your older brother does too. Your older brother, Jesus. Friends, we are standing on his shoulders. He was crushed, not by sin, but by our own sin. And he willingly hung on a cross outside of the party so that you and I could go feast with the Father. And friends, with, when that gets a hold of our heart, not just knowing it up here, but when it starts to melt our heart it will change us from dutiful older brothers into joyful followers of Jesus. Did you notice how the story ended? The curtain drops, and the older brother still outside the party. And we don't know whether he even goes into the party. Well, that's very intentional. Jesus ends it that way, Because he wants us this morning to ask the exact same question. Will you come to the party? Will you come to the party this morning and rejoice with fellow sinners just like you? And rejoice in the Father? I hope you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... We pray this morning and thank you and celebrate the fact that you, as our older brother, Jesus, did not leave us. You were not bitter about our coming home, but you actually went and got us and brought us to the party and to the feast at the expense of your own life. Thank you for that. Father, would you help us to really believe that and change our hearts from older brothers who think you owe us something to joyful followers that are grateful that you have taken away our sin. We pray that you would change our life so that people that meet us in our spheres of influence in life and in our church would feel welcomed um, as younger brothers. Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen.